Hello and welcome to Founded and Grounded, the podcast that takes the experiences and wisdom of entrepreneurs and business owners and shares them with you, the listener, their real world advice from them, everything you need to know about starting your own business. We share with you here on the podcast. It's series two, episode three. Thank you very much indeed for joining us. I'm Andrew Parsonage and as ever, I'm joined by my erstwhile colleagues. So let's introduce them now. We're Once again, we are virtually recording this for various reasons. We're, we're desperate to try and get around the, the old kitchen table again with the mics, but uh, we're back online again this week. So on my screen in front of me, I can see, first of all, legendary business startup guru and friend of founders worldwide, Mr. Ollie Collard. Good afternoon, Ollie. Thank you, Andrew, for such a great introduction there. I love that. Good stuff, Ollie. And also online uh, in another part of Bristol, because we're all strung out all over the place. I have Freya Scott. So good afternoon. I said, no, Freya, what's, what can your introduction be? You can I have no point. idea. <laughs> Representing, if you like, the voice of, of youth and the student demographic itself, uh, Miss Freya Scott. Good afternoon to you, Freya, also. Hi, Andrew and Ollie. So, like I said, we we're back online this week, and uh, here we are at episode three. So, just before we move on to our featured guest and their business for this week, just to catch up on the last episode, we uh, last week we were speaking with Elliot from the Bunch, and the week before it was, uh, or the episode before it was with Alice from Stevenson Law. And just to say, we've, it's great we've seen some online debate in the week since. Obviously, uh, people out there listening to the podcast and starting up all kinds of related conversations about some of the themes they're covering. So uh, that's been really great to see, hasn't it, Ollie? Absolutely wonderful for people and much appreciated for spreading the word online um, and involving people in the conversation. Yeah, definitely. There's, there's something in, in the Stevenson Law episode which triggered off a whole conversation about resourcing and, and recruitment and letting people go and hanging on to people. So hopefully we will generate some more talking points for you over the next half hour. And towards the end of the show, we'll just remind you about how to get in touch and pose this week's burning question. Okay, let's then crack on and find out about which business and which entrepreneur we'll be speaking with this week. So, Ollie, please enlighten us. So, yeah, I spoke with Rob, who is a serial co-founder now, firstly of Riggle here in Bristol, and secondly of the Bristol Pantry. Yeah, definitely. Now, obviously, we are Bristol-based, and a lot of the businesses we feature are from this area or this region in general but i think there'll be things that we talk about in today's show which apply wherever you're listening to us whether else we're in the uk or internationally because we do have listeners across the globe so in terms of theme for today's show ollie the question one of the questions we're going to be asking is that can local and indie businesses scale up without losing their founding principles Great question, Andrew. And we're all about promoting local and small businesses. And I think in terms of scaling, direct-to-consumer is a booming business model at the moment. It's great to see so many indie businesses winning customers from far and wide. Okay, well, thanks, Ollie. So I know you caught up with Rob, Rob Hall. Uh, As we do with all of our guests on the show, we ask them to talk through the origins of their business. So this is what Rob had to say about Riggle and the Bristol Pantry. So I was a sort of disenfranchised lawyer before and was keen to find a way to not keep being a lawyer. So I started going to startup weekends in London. And a lot of these weekends, you have to sort of come and pitch an idea. And then you should form little teams and then like to go through a very quick process of trialing and like proving that there is a problem there and that you can solve it. And I pitched this idea around reducing food waste. And effectively, it was the core idea that then became Riggle. And, and we sort of pitched it for that weekend, started trialing it out, and then won that startup weekend. 
And then I thought, right, well, I think there's there's something in this kernel of an idea about about uh, that we can uh, explore with Riggle. And, and I sort of jumped off the deep end from there, came down to Bristol to set it up. And in 2014, began this process. And we, we had a very sort of quick, minimum viable product processed, like prove that it works, and then launched the app in mid-2014 and then been on this sort of roller coaster ride since then. So did you quit your job at that point to move to Bristol? Or? Yes, exactly. So how did you go from that initial concept that you developed over the weekend to getting your MVP out there in the marketplace and doing that consumer validation? So, so I should say that there was a phase. There was a, there was a pre-business called OfferClock, and OfferClock was quite an ugly uh, website, poorly designed, didn't get much traction, but it did teach me enough that when I was able, I was able to go and speak to some investors and explain what we'd done and what we'd learned, and they believed in me enough to get, to sort of invest twenty thousand pounds, and that was enough to then build this sort of MVP, which was a sort of the mobile app, and and we sort of rebranded Riggle and came up with a proposition that was much more compelling. But in terms of the MVP, we had this sort of pre phase before we built the app, where we thought, right, we've actually got to prove that this Riggle concept and this new form will work, and we had this email MVP. Uh, and effectively, we did everything with zero tech. So on day one, we got a place called Yumi Kitchen in Cotton to sort of create a limited time promotion between 6 and 8 p.m. on a Tuesday. And I got a whole load of people to sign up through a sort of Twitter campaign. So we had about 200 people on our mailing list who'd signed up to receive sort of last moment offers from great local businesses. We emailed out this limited time promotion from Yumi Kitchen saying, limited covers at this fantastic place for this promotion. When they're gone, they're gone. So email back if you want a spot. And six people out of those 200 emailed back saying, yes, I'd like to go. It was zero tech. So I just made up a list of sort of unique codes that I emailed to those six people and to the restaurant. They didn't pay the restaurant. They transferred me money online the next day. It was a trust-based system. And then I went around to the restaurant who gave me uh, gave me my commission, which was about six pounds, literally in cash. So it was all sort of super low tech. But in a way, it proved that there was demand for what we wanted. And over the next sort of two or three months, we did that uh, every few days with a different restaurant, with like growing numbers. And by the end, we had 1,500 people sign up to our mail- mailing list receiving these email promotions. And we were able to then sort of switch over to a properly sort of tech-based solution and have some really good evidence that people wanted what we were doing. And Rob, just for the people that haven't heard of Riggle, could you explain in a bit more detail what Riggle is? I should say I haven't practiced my elevator pitch since we've launched Bristol Pantry, but I guess the proposition now is that we help people find great local food. And we do that now through two strands of our business. So the initial strand of our business is Riggle, which is a mobile app to help people discover great local independent restaurants, cafes and bars. And there's often a price saving, which is the incentive for people to discover that place. But it can be through finding like great local events or things that are sort of limited quantity. And we create excitement about local eat out establishments. And then in the last few months since coronavirus, we've developed this new strand of the business, which is allowing people to, through Bristol Pantry is the name, to, do, to buy local groceries, so food and drink to enjoy at home from your local butcher, your local baker, breweries, distilleries, people who make sauces, chocolates, whatever. And a bit like if you're ordering from uh, Ocado, you can uh, order from lots of local producers and we'll deliver in one big weekly delivery from only local unique producers. 
How did you grow your initial user base? Uh, you talked about getting, you know, doing the manual process and then pushing people onto the mailing list. How did you scale that? The initial year or so was all through unpaid, unpaid social. So Twitter was a big, big early channel for us. When you don't have any budget, it's really good to like get into the sort of the core foodie scene, that sort of group of people on Twitter who are like food and drink lovers. And it, and it filters down from these people who are the sort of influencers within the local scene. And then from there, when we started stepping up our growth channels over the, over the coming years, it was a lot through paid advertising on, on Facebook. Google wasn't such a big channel for us because the cost didn't quite work. Email marketing. And we had a lot of success with paid sort of content marketing. So creating really good local videos and articles that would be shared to, to get us to a much sort of wider scale. And in regards to the new business then, so the Bristol Pantry, why did you choose to brand it differently? So the first couple of months of lockdown, we were there going, right, well, our, our core proposition is completely dead. And we did a lot of workshops to go, what is the new world going to look like post-COVID, during COVID? And we came up with four ideas that we wanted to test out. And one of them was Bristol Pantry. I guess the idea was that it harnessed our knowledge of the market, the food and drink market. It used a lot of the relationships we built up with Wriggle. And it was something that, one, would be really valuable during COVID. But two, we thought there was an opportunity longer term because right now, of all grocery sales in the UK, the online part of it is only around 12% of the market. And surely that's only going to grow long term. So we saw a sort of both short and medium term opportunity and a long term opportunity. And the cost of playing for this opportunity was the fact that we had to take on a lot of logistics and delivery that we weren't used to. But we thought, right, well, that's just something that you've got to take on in this and, and really embrace it wholeheartedly. So, Rob, can you tell us a bit about the traction that the Bristol Pantry has got so far and what reaction you've had from people living in Bristol? The evidence of the traction was that on week one, I said to myself that if we got 20 transactions, we had something. And, uh, and within two days, we'd had 120 orders for, for, for that week. So, and we were really like, amazed by, one, the size of the orders compared to that we're getting on Riddle. So the average order value is much higher which sort of stands to reason because we're something more akin to their weekly shop now. I think the evidence that the traction is the fact that we're now moving to a warehouse next week and we're doubling down and it's something we're definitely going to keep going long term. First of all, interesting, Ollie, that someone who actually sounded like they had a fairly steady job in another part of the country just decided to jump in at the deep end, create a startup, and six, seven years on is not doing too badly. Yeah, no, really interesting background. Obviously, he was looking to be a lawyer and then quickly realised that that wasn't the life that he wanted. And obviously, with law, you're mitigating risk. And being an entrepreneur, you are taking, in large parts, a big risk. So just looking at the business proposition, just taking a step back and looking at what Riggle do, they, they tick quite a lot of boxes in terms of what they do. And I, I, when I was listening to what Rob had to say there, I scribbled down here a sort of ethical just eat. And that's probably been unkind to just eat because they do what they do very well. But obviously what they're doing is that a similar approach, but they're pointing people in a different direction. They're maybe answering a few societal issues about food waste. They're helping food businesses, food retailers, uh, restaurants, et cetera, trying to match customers with where there is an opportunity and just trying to do things in a very nice, ethical and independently minded sort of way. So it just feel very much like a, a business for our times. Most definitely. And I think if you 
owned an indie restaurant, then it's a fantastic tool to win consumers over. So I think it's a great model. I think as a restaurateur, you can run real-time promotions, particularly when you know it might be a rainy day, not many people are coming through the doors, maybe you've had lots of cancellations. You can run a real-time promotion there and then and get revenue into the door and at the same time reduce food waste. So it's, it's win-win from the business's point of view and the consumer point of view. What was interesting also in the early days when they set up, I think back in 2014, Rob emphasised how they, they focus on low-cost marketing. And we'll come back to this theme later in the programme when we come to the summary. But the fact that they really pushed the social media channels in the early days, they tried to use social media as a way into the local core foodie scene, and in particular to tap into those influences. I mean, Freya, obviously you're our social media guru for Founded and Grounded, but it does seem for any startup, any small business, that social media and minimising the amount of money you spend on marketing is absolutely essential to try and make your way into those markets and connect with your customer base. Yeah, definitely, especially in the early days, whilst you're just trying to get your your name and idea out there, I think it's a great way to kind of reach out to new people and using influencers already have a platform and who can share it to their their followers who might also be interested in in your product. It's just a great way to yeah, organically grow your following. I mean, the foodie seems massive on social media, isn't it? I mean, just look at Instagram. For, for a foodie for, or foodie communities, Instagram is an essential, isn't it? Yeah, definitely. And Instagram want people to stay on the platform. So with that algorithms, if they're promoting your product to people who are likely to be interested in, you know, everyone's a winner, everyone's interested in, in your content. And so Instagram are gaining from people staying on the site and, you know, you're gaining new new interested people as well. Well, it sounds to me like Riggle was just a business in the right place at the right time. It's a really good point, Andrew. I think timing is a massively underrated issue when it comes to starting a business. The timing's got to be right for the marketplace, but also the timing's got to be right at your point of life at that particular period. So I think timing is a massive issue. Rob was there at the right time, as you say, in terms of the market. Bristol has a massively growing food scene, lots of independents. He was leveraging Facebook advertising, which was probably a lot cheaper back in 2014, and actually gaining demand and traction in those early days. So I think the combination of having a growing market and making use of the real-time technology to implement Riggle was a key to the success in the early days. Inevitably, COVID and the impact of pandemic came into the conversation. And I want to come back to that when we talk about the challenges that Rob and his businesses faced. But just before we come on to that section of the show, let's just quickly talk about the Bristol Pantry also, which is a relatively new development. Because through Riggle, they had made lots of connections with local cafes, restaurants, food businesses, etc. that the creation of the Bristol Pantry was almost like the, the natural consequence of all that. Yeah, as you say, Andrew, they had the the user base already there on the platform, so they could already market to a very engaged community of users in the region, uh, and that's enabled them to introduce this new offering to its users very quickly and get that scale and iterate from there on out. I mean, I think Rob said himself that he was pretty surprised with the demand in the first week when the website went live. As he said, the order value from 
an average wriggle order versus a Bristol Pantry food order is a massive discrepancy between the two. So I think actually, in terms of a business model, it could be a more profitable business model. Mm-hmm. Well, it did actually come up with quite an interesting stat. And I was quite surprised when Rob said this, that he said that only 12% of UK food retailers done online. And I'm, I'm sure that figure's grown in the last six months or so. But I was quite surprised. But also what it does suggest is that can only get bigger. And those are exactly the words that Rob used. Yeah, I'm surprised by that as well. You would have thought with yeah the, the likes of Deliveroo, Uber Eats, the majority of food producers across the country were online in some aspect. But yeah, I think uh, it gives them a good good route to market in terms of using the Bristol Pantry. Okay, well, we're going to come back to that particular issue about online retail and deliveries in particular uh, towards the end of the show. But let's move on now to the hurdles and the obstacles that Rob and his team faced as their business progressed. And this, again, is what Rob came up with when Ollie asked him about sort of things that they had to deal with. Well, I mean, I would say that without doubt for us, the impact of coronavirus has been our our, our biggest challenge. And and to us, I'm, I'm really proud of how not just myself, but the whole the whole the whole team responded to that. I think one in the short term, there was a, there was an amazing sense of like pulling together in the team. Within a few days, we pulled together a campaign called Indie Kitty, which was allowing people to buy gift cards or vouchers from independent businesses to help them to tide any cash flow problems through uh, the coronavirus. And that was a big success straight away. It obviously sort of tailed off once it became apparent how long the impact was going to go on for. But that was a really good short term thing to help local restaurants. But long term, I think the way that we went back to the drawing board and did lots of workshops to analyse the market and the opportunities and then we analysed all the opportunities that came up in that to consider how we would deliver it and then how we actually brought them to market and tested them. I mean, I think that was a, a really exciting process to be part of. And since then, delivering Bristol Pantry has been really exciting. It's really exciting to be able to go back. Well, I guess it's a bit like being a second time entrepreneur, using all the things we've learned with Wriggle to be much more efficient in bringing to market a new platform that's using all the, the knowledge of all the pitfalls that we've fallen into regularly over years and years, but also being able to be that much more dispassionate about it and being able to go, right, well, if it's not working now, we'll move on quick from each of the various strands of the business. Whereas I think as a first-time entrepreneur, you can get very caught up in being very like emotionally committed to the idea or processes. So we can be much more I think dispassionate in the word in, uh, is the word in terms of like following the concept and yeah, making sure that we're building a really strong, sustainable business from the outset. Can you think back to a time when you seriously doubted yourself and how you overcame that? What I would say in the, in the course of running Wriggle, those moments happen constantly. And I think it's just the course of being an entrepreneur because it's never a straight line or even a sort of hockey stick curve to, to success. And there are always moments where the market changes, the, the platforms you use change, the marketing channels change, and they always lead to doubt. Or even like when you're raising investment and you get no's and you have to battle back. I think one of the things I'd say is that if you want to be an entrepreneur, you've got to be really good at brushing those things aside because it is a marathon, not a sprint. And I think I'm lucky in that I'm very quick at like brushing off disappointment and being optimistic. And I think that's a really valuable thing. So whilst I could name masses of periods where you thought, oh, is this going to work? Or are we going to be able to get past this challenge? And I think just being like relentless 
and optimistic is a key thing that has kept me going. Well, when it comes to challenges, there the only really is one starting point, and that is COVID. And for every single business, it presented a challenge of one sort or another, and it was certainly the case for Riggle. And what was interesting, Ollie, is that they had to completely reposition once they saw that the bottom had dropped out of their market. Yeah, and hats off to Rob, because that's not an easy thing to take when you've got a you know, a rapidly scaling business that has been doing well since 2014. And then overnight, the majority of your business essentially has to stop. The benefits that he's got of that business, that he's got an engaged community in Bristol and other cities as well. He's thought about what else can we do? Well, people are doing lots of online grocery shopping. He's already got relationships with some of the producers in and around Bristol. He's got a good reputation. He's come up with this model. Obviously, he's talked about that with how he did that with his team. But he's quickly put that offering into the marketplace and built from there. The word dispassionate came up, which sort of piqued my interest. And, and, and Fred, from your point of view, I mean, how easy do you think it, it is realistically, if you're a business owner, to detach yourself emotionally, given all the energy you plan into that business? It must be a real skill to be able to do that and just to be able to think in quite a cold, clinical way about your next business move. Yeah, it must be really hard. I think, you know, Rob talks about how being a founder is a marathon and not a sprint. Lots of the other founders, unfounded and grounded, they're all kind of very strong and determined people. And I think that's the thing is Rob talked about how there's lots of doubts and there's the ups and downs, but I think it's pushing through those and being ready to adapt your idea and pivot your plans and just keep on going, I guess. Yeah, because it's interesting. Um, Elliot, who was our guest on the last episode, talked us something similar about the constant moments of, of self-doubt as an entrepreneur. And, and Rob said exactly the same. It seems like you, you have got to be quite tough mentally and we say this in an era when there's lots of conversations about mental health generally and about people's ability to deal with stuff like this. But being able to brush off disappointment and, and in Rob's words, being relentless and optimistic, again, easier said than done, I'd imagine. Yeah, definitely. I think you've got to be a certain kind of person to be able to constantly get knocked down, but just persevering. You've, you've just got to be yeah, very thick-skinned and determined. From your experience, you know, when, when you talk to people who are setting up and going into business for the first time, and you must have had many of these conversations with people, do you think maybe that this kind of conversation happens enough where people are given sort of like an insight into the mental health impact of setting up a business and, and going into business for the first few years? Yes, there's the technical side of it, but do you think people really have a grasp of what they're letting themselves in for? Do you think that's maybe not covered sufficiently in terms of when people are, are advised at the beginning of their business journey? It's a really good question, Andrew. I think what we're trying to do with this show is bring some of the, the reality to starting a business. And we've heard from lots of founders that you know you have very dark days, moments of doubt, and you've just got to react and bat that off and carry on and be relentless. I think you can make founders aware of the challenges that they're going to face. But until they're in that position themselves, they don't fully understand. It's probably similar to having a baby in the sense that you can tell expected parents what it's going to be like but until you've actually had the baby and are living the reality of it you just you just don't know until you're in that situation yeah i think the parenting is definitely a very good analogy for, for this situation so just to wrap up this bit covid we should not take lightly by any means the impact that covid's had on the economy and the stress and strain it's caused but it has shown and i guess through rob's experiences that there are ways in which you can take on what is the biggest challenge of our times and turn it into an opportunity with some quick thinking and, and the right connections, if you like. 
Yeah, and I think you have to be, as you said there, it's all about being quick and maybe not being perfect first time round. Rob's obviously business has been very severely affected by the pandemic and he's thought about what are the potential opportunities, what are the future trends going to be. And I think there's a level of maturity in Rob where, and coming back to that point about being dispassionate, what you're saying is not necessarily dispassionate, I don't think. It's about being a bit more calculated, a bit more of a level of maturity in terms of being a founder in the sense that he's going off cold, hard data. He's not taking it personally. You're listening to Founded and Grounded. Reality, reassurance and inspiration every fortnight for the startup community. Right, at this stage of the podcast, the conversation turns to the future and in particular to the advice that our guest founder would have for anyone listening. So Rob here came up with quite a lot of interesting stuff as well as his one piece of advice. So let's hear what you had to say. I mean, you're asking me this at a very, a very challenging moment. Uh, it's, it's difficult to see where Riggle's going to be in, in six months, let alone in five years time. The answer always with Riggle was we want to have taken our proposition by, by five years time, certainly like nationwide, international, helping people discover amazing local restaurants on a sort of worldwide scale. I think I need to take an earthier approach there and get through the next year because I think for right now it is about survival through the next year of this coronavirus pandemic and then being able to sort of be positioned well to come out of it strongly. I think Bristol Pantry, we've got so far to go in terms of understanding the depth and width of the opportunity. It doesn't feel to me like a sort of land grab scale opportunity. It feels like in this situation, we have the potential to go much deeper into every given geographic area. So it's about making sure that we really understand our target customer base and how to get them buying weekly with £100 plus sort of order values. And if you can do that, then you can build a very big business in five, 10 cities, but going with a lot more depth uh, and providing a really like unique range of offering. So I'd say slightly different opportunities one, Wriggle uh, feels like it needs to be about land grab uh, and Bristol Pantry feels like it's of depth going into fewer cities, but going a lot, a lot deeper. Rob, as part of our season two, we're looking to engage our listener base. Have you got a question that you'd like to ask our audience? Yes, particularly on Bristol Pantry, where we're, we're just trying to discover and get to understand our audience and what they're looking for. Making the product unique is really important and we're focusing on having unique local food and drink from local producers and I guess one of the questions we've got is how much the local matters or or is it more about the uniqueness of the offering so if we got an amazing producer who you know you couldn't buy from your average supermarket would it matter if they were from Birmingham or Manchester or does it need to be local to the area and that's an important question for us because obviously when it comes to scaling it's fine to get lots of great local produce when we're in Bristol, but if we want to scale to other cities, it means you have to start again with your product offering and build a new repertoire of, of produce. And that's one. And the other point is we're currently only doing one delivery day a week, which makes sense from a profitability point of view. That makes sense for us, given that we're more like akin to a, a deli where you order all your special produce once a week. And I'm really interested to know whether people feel like with the Amazon effect, they need to get their deliveries the next day and whether we should be sort of following that market, which will be much more challenging logistically uh, in terms of costs or whether the once a week or potentially twice a week will cover our, our market. 
So I think those are the two questions I'm interested to, to know about. Interesting, Rob. We will certainly put that to our listeners. So, Rob, could you tell us one piece of advice that you would pass on to somebody thinking of starting their own business for the first time? Yeah, I think my, my big thing is I'm, I'm a big believer in the lean startup theory. So trying to find the minimum viable product, the minimum cost and efficient and, and time cost way of testing your idea to prove there is a market before before you jump in fully. And I guess the one thing I would add is that I don't think that the, the concept of minimum viable product is the right concept anymore. I think it has to be a minimum lovable product that you can bring to market quickly to prove and validate that you have an idea. So for us at Bristol Pantry, that was this sort of two-week trial where we launched a sort of pared-down version that proved there was demand to go from there. So I think it's really important to like work out, one, what your biggest risks or assumptions are behind your business model and work out how to test that as quickly as possible with a minimum lovable product. And I say lovable because I think there are already so many things in the market. And if you are in a crowded market, you need to make sure that it is good enough that you're not just turning customers off with your product and not, not actually proving that it genuinely is the right problem to be solving. Awesome advice there, Rob. And you heard it here first, listeners. That's the MLP, which Rob has obviously coined. Thank you very much. Brilliant. Well, thank you very much for having me. Normally, at this point, we sort of rattle through the final bits and pieces and tie up the podcast. But actually, in terms of the conversation you had with Rob, I thought a lot of the interesting stuff, a lot of the more interesting stuff or intriguing stuff he left till the end, because we're looking into the future. And of course, no one knows. He would have known this time last year about what was going to happen. So there are businesses where they talk about national, international goals and aims, and that's perfectly fine. But here, Rob was very cognizant of being realistic in the current circumstances. Yeah, and I think he's obviously been quite measured and calculated in his approach because, you know, the the world is so uncertain at the moment. He's rightly building a strategy for the next three, six months rather than looking at a kind of five-year strategy because there's so many unknowns in the world at the moment. Something else that sort of got my interest was that I suppose there's an aspiration here for the Bristol Pantry, for example, to be a destination of choice for people to do their weekly shop. I mean, Fred, how realistic do you think that is? Because basically we've got years and years of supermarket habits ingrained in us. So I think it's going to be tough for any any business like Bristol Pantry to, to try and get us to change our ways. And I think it's going to be quite a shift for people to come away with maybe one-off lifestyle or what you might call luxury, nice-to-have purchases into, right, you know, however much I, I love their ethical premise and their sort of locally minded premise you know my budget is still only this so I, I sense that maybe there's still a perception about cost out there Freya would you do you think that's what people are maybe grappling with yeah true what I'm thinking is maybe with covid people's weekly budgets might have increased if they're not spending their extra money on trips abroad or something that might shift into a kind of nicer weekly shop so maybe there's something in that as well if you were given a choice between I can buy this decent product at a particular price or I can buy this product because it's made in Bristol mm-hmm. and it's a little bit more expensive, but it looks nice. It's made in Bristol. It's made locally. What would you, what would you go for just out of interest? I guess as a student, it wouldn't be my weekly shop to purchase a kind of expensive thing. But for a present or something or for a special treat to buy something local, I think is a really nice idea. So this is a cue really for this week's question. Freya, do you want to just kind of recap on the sort of two things that Rob has prompted? Yeah, so Rob wants to ask about 
does it need to be local and how important is that but with his products or with the products that Bristol Pantry is selling? And the second question is, does one delivery day a week matter with other supermarkets? If you want to get your weekly shop, you can pick any time of the day, any day of the week. But how important is that is what Rob wants to find out. Great stuff. Okay, so two questions for you there. And uh, please do come back to us on those. We'll also post those questions on our social channels and fail just reminders of those at the end of the programme. Let's just round up our concluding thoughts with Rob's one piece of advice. As we heard earlier, Rob starts off in a very low cost, lean sort of way, marketing his business and the proposition. And he comes back to this, what he calls the lean startup theory, having the minimal amount of cost, time and effort to test the market before you jump in fully. I would fully recommend all founders definitely reading the Lean Startup book in terms of if you're thinking of starting a business, because it does make you think about testing your proposition before you go all in on it and getting that feedback from the marketplace. But I think what Rob's saying is, is taking it a step further in saying customers, consumers these days are quite demanding. They want something that's great. So they want to be able to love something. They want to have an emotion. They want to have a connection with it. So what is that minimum lovable product you can put out there and people will love to buy? Right. Okay. Well, really interesting conversation with Rob. If you want to check out Riggle, the website is getariggleon.com. I bet he was early into the domain listings with that one. So beside the website, Rob has very kindly set up an offer for founders and grounded listeners. Yeah, it's a great offer. So either on Riggle or the Bristol Pantry websites or apps, you can get free or £5 off, respectively, on Riggle or the Bristol Pantry by using the code FOUNDED in capital letters. And we'll make sure that's on our, our socials as well. Thank you once again to Rob Hall for his time. Just before we finish this week, we always remind you of our multi-platform social media and communication setup. So Freya, over to you in social media corner, please. Yeah. So you can find us on Facebook, Founded and Grounded, or Instagram and Twitter is Founded Grounded, as well as our website, foundedandgrounded.co.uk. Thanks for that, Freya. And that pretty much brings us full circle for this episode. Ollie and Freya, thank you very much indeed. At some point in the future, we will meet again in person one day. Great stuff, Andrew. Thanks again. Thanks, Andrew. You're welcome. You've been listening to Founded and Grounded, the podcast for the startup and entrepreneurial community with myself, Andrew Parsonage, and also co-presented by Mr. Ollie Card and Miss Freya Scott. We'll be back again very shortly. In the meantime, do check out our previous episodes. They're all available online, including series one as well. And as we said earlier, we'd love to hear from you. So do stay in touch. Take care, stay safe. And Fan and Grounded will be back with you very soon. For now, cheerio.